Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> oh, why did I do the countdown? Hang on, I gotta wait for the clock to go. Two, All right. Okay, no. There we no. go. <laughs> this is all about wine. About wine. Talk show. Oh, that's about the wine industry since winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert. Wrong. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine exactly right less right confusing there. and more friendly. Yes. From coast, coast, coast to coast, to coast, coast around the and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, just <laughs> I love that. I love that. Watch you then, during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine. Again. All about wine is on. Here's wrong. There he is. Yay! He's bundled up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, not too bad today. Yeah. No. no but it's still. What is it out? What is it outside now? Let's see. Unlock the stupid phone. Oh yeah, it's it's seventy degrees. That's that's a. Uh, is it still? Ooh. Wow, wow, balmy. Turn the heat on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I in know, the mountain so. area of Florida. You're you're along the coast. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm on the coast, upper elevation here. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you're going to get a little bit, yeah, a little bit colder yeah. in the elevations. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it just well, it, you know, today was nice. I played golf. Yesterday was it? What is today? Thursday? Yeah, I played golf yesterday, and it was really nice out there. It was just just a beautiful day for golf. And I'm playing tomorrow, mm. and it's supposed to be cloudy and chances of showers. But you know, it's just like they say they'll they'll go fast, so I can handle that. But then Sunday I'm playing, and it's only supposed to hit like sixty watt sixty. Wow, one degrees or something. I don't know. At sixty-five, something like that is the high, and that's just cold for golf. That you know, I, and all the people up north who play golf and you know, just above freezing weather, saying, "What you talking about?" Now, well, I, right. to me, and after they get done swimming or something, they go play golf. Yeah, or yeah, they go play yeah. golf first and then go swimming. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. You know. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and yeah, it's just cold for me. I play golf. I'll play golf with a guy from. Ohio, and he'll be out there in a tank top and in shorts, and he'll go, "Oh, this is great weather, you know." And I I will wear shorts, but I will have long socks on, and I will have layered on the upper body and all that. So, is it, is it possible that they're just saying that? You know, just are they just saying it? But deep down inside, they're freezing. They're like, "Oh, this is terrible. Oh, I cannot. No I doubt. can't believe I'm going to be playing golf." Sure is warm well, out here, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. People do. Well, I was at the winery one day, and there was a bunch of people in there, and it was in the winter, and everybody had on their coats and, and jackets and, you know, uh, long pants. Nobody was wearing shorts, so the girls weren't wearing skirts or anything. And here comes this couple walking up the sidewalk, and the guy had on a T-shirt and shorts. And I says, oh, here comes somebody from Michigan. And they all looked at me and said, you know him? I go, no. And he walks in the door and I go, where are you from? He goes, Michigan. I go, see, <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. they just, <laughs> you know, any, anything above, I don't know, what, 47 degrees, you know, they, 
they throw in the shorts and a t-shirt and uh and so it's uh you know you live down here for a while and you start acclimating to the warm weather and then anything below 70 degrees you start shivering so but yep. the whole country i just saw a map the whole country is is having cold right now florida's the only place that's in the 70s um but yeah, yeah we we feel bad for them we do we really do yeah, sure. no we do yeah we do uh stay there don't don't come to florida but we feel bad for you Come down here on vacation, but don't move. <laughs> um, a, a little sport note here. Since I live in Florida, obviously, you all know that, and uh, just north of Tampa. Last summer, the Tampa Bay Rays, the baseball team, announced that they were going to split the season between Montreal and Tampa, play half their home games in Montreal and half their home games here. And... You know, like they have a series of, you know, three home, uh, three different teams coming in at three games each. They play those here. And then the next series of home games they do up in Montreal. And they said that's a good way to generate money and all that. And people here were saying that's ridiculous because, you know, they Montreal had baseball teams and they moved because they couldn't support them. Why would they support half a year of a team? So, you know, back and forth. Well, all moved because today... Major League Baseball came out and said, no, Tampa, you cannot do that. You cannot split your season between Montreal and Tampa. So they're stuck in Tampa, which... That would, the, that would be the only team that does it, right? No yeah, other team tries to, to do that, right? Right. I, and the, I could not figure that uh, And the, man, uh, the manager, the general manager of the Rays came on TV and he said, there has to be innovative things in baseball and this is innovative they're just not used to it yet but we'll talk to them more and we'll see what's going to happen so who knows but you know i i guess you know when you're in a small market like tampa is and you can split it and make enough revenue i it might be a a, a good way to increase your revenue but then the rays have been so good about getting in the playoffs every year where are they going to play the playoff mm-hmm. games you know i mean it just brings up all sorts of questions. But Major League Baseball said, "Nope, can't do that." So yep. I just I couldn't figure that. out the I couldn't figure out the reason for it. It, it didn't make any sense. I'm like, "Come on, you're going to confuse the fans." And you know, oh, I'd like to go to this game to watch them play this team. And oh, oh but they're in Montreal. I can't make it. They're in Montreal. Yeah. And, yeah. And you know, but, the uh, and then they're talking about the they were talking about uh, Ebor City uh, building a mm. stadium down in Ebor City. Right, and I saw the site, and I go, "Where are you going to park?" There's no parking down there as it is. There um, isn't. Yeah. Did you not have make to build a great big parking garage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just I don't know. I think it's. A, I don't know. Hey, well, if you want to you, stay, you have to build us a multi-million-dollar stadium. So right, and that's what they do. Here. They hold towns hostages for for sports yep. stadiums, yeah. and yep. they do that in, in everywhere. I mean. Look at the big fancy stadiums for football and and uh, baseball, and, and at least you know in the United States yeah. we're not soccer crazy, or else they'd be demanding great big soccer stadiums too. Yeah, yeah. If they were. So no, oh well. I just anyway. it, it was just uh, it surprised me that Major League Baseball came out and said nope, can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So. 
So Mike is feeling better. He's back with us, and he's doing strong. He's feeling better. Uh, he's been under the weather for the last three weeks. Wow. And uh, so he's, he's getting back in the loop. And so that means you can tune into his radio program on Saturday mornings. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I listen. I listen every Saturday myself. I, it's, there you. Yeah. I listen to it. The, oh yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> take it with me wherever I go. Yeah. Give yourself a plug here. Give yourself a plug. Uh, oh. All right. Yeah. Oh, you mean verbally? Oh, okay. Verbally. Okay. <laughs> Talking, talking in my head. The voices in my head were going. Yeah, they're yeah, they're all there. Yeah, the Jetstream Radio, Jetstream Radio, as in the uh, wind currents that are at high altitudes. That uh, anyway, but uh, JetstreamRadio.com, and uh, they have a iOS app that is really good. Um, you can listen to it on TuneIn and I don't know, all sorts of things. But uh, to, oh wow, what was that? But uh, anyway. Yeah, Do you have to be, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, every Saturday morning. You don't have to be a member either. You can just you can tune in. But no. don't they, to talk with you, you have to join up. But there's no no fees or anything. It's actually, uh, no, not not this one. You don't, I mean, there's a couple of different services, and there's a way to send a request or a message on the website, and that's just free. You just put, you know, your oh. name or your your nickname or something, and then a request or you know, something, and uh, it goes right to the to the dashboard, and we go, oh, there's, you know, this person. So, oh, okay. Just I, out and, yeah, that's, yeah, there's no registration. I don't oh, think it's, uh, oh, that's, that's, oh, I thought yeah. there was. Mm. No phone. So, oh, might have to get into trouble. Thank you. So, so yeah, there you, so uh, tune in, listen to him, and uh, it's, it gets listeners from all over the world. I mean, it's really a quite widespread yeah. program, and he'll take your request, anything that he can happen to get his hands on, he'll play for you. So, you know, yeah, yeah I pay like 20 bucks a month. I have a $70 million or 70 million track library ready at my oh, disposal. You? So, you can do that. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I got a, that's yeah, cool. It's, a, it's a DJ pool. I got like, I'm on two or three of them, three of them. Yeah. I think, uh, and uh, we'll come up with some obscure name and something. And I'll go, eh, I'll find it. And uh, yeah, sure enough, there it is. <laughs> um, but, uh, well, that's cool. You know, try to yeah. stump Mike. There's so, your there's your challenge. No, tune in Saturday, tune no. in Saturday morning and see if you can find I something. About the, I think about the uh, the ones that were in uh, Japanese, and I have to use Google um, <laughs> uh, Google Translate to translate the lyrics because it's all I can't read it. And uh, I'm looking through it, going, okay, is there any words in there I can't hear? You know, I, I mean, who's going to recognize the words if if they did say it in some other right. language? But uh, yeah, I've had to. There was one time I was translating like six songs at a time, going, I, I don't know what this means. Um, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Know, but, uh, yeah, yeah, well, from that. around the world, oh. I can imagine. You know, you're getting mm-hmm. oh, yeah. a little bit of everything, but of, yet you still found yeah. it. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> didn't know it existed. <laughs> didn't know it existed, but yet I found it. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's cool. It's part of so, a video game, and there it is. It's a trick. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Saturday morning, well, 7 to 9, uh, Eastern. Thank you. Yeah. Thank Eastern, you. Eastern United States time, yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess there's, that's Take the only on. Eastern times there is. I, I I guess the time zones are all divided up into different different things they call them, and mm-hmm. Eastern. I don't think there's any other Eastern anywhere. So, um, okay. Middle Eastern. Okay. Yeah. So this yeah. is uh, all about wine. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have you know, started we started this. <laughs> There you go. Oh. <laughs> we usually do the talking before, but then we started on it here, and so, so well. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And, uh, <laughs> oh, let's see. Well, you I got to talk about. You were talking about this. Yeah, you talked about it earlier. Yeah, uh, some topics. I got different topics for you here. That uh, just just some odds and ends. I'm going to throw out to you that, and it also clears up and cleans up some of my clothes that I've been wanting to tell you. So this is uh, this is going to be a cleanup night on this. We're already a quarter into the show, and so that's okay because I think it's going to be about a 45-minute cleanup. So that works perfectly well. To-go wines. The pandemic has created to-go wines. Restaurants and uh, all those places have been offering it, and they like it. Restaurants like to sell the to-go wines. They said it's been a very, very lucrative move on their part. And so they're going to continue. It's something that just about every restaurant that does wine and does the to-go is going to continue after the pandemic. It's not going to be something they're going to stop. It's not going to be something they're going to say, okay, now people can come here again. Now we're going to stop doing this. It's something that they're all looking at as a new way to increase their food sales and to expand their wine sales. And well, actually, alcohol sells. I say wine, but uh, is uh, includes all alcoholic beverages. Usually, wine is the most common, so therefore, that's what usually goes out with most of the to-go orders. But it's going to be something that the restaurants have looked at, and they are already making plans throughout the United States and actually around the world. This article. Uh, I was talking about Canada and some of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association says that selling the alcohol has helped uh, keep businesses and uh, continues to do so. So uh, good news for you. After this pandemic has started to wane, uh, you can still order your wines and your meal and get the wines with it. Uh Let's see, let's see, where's the next thing? No, this isn't. Hmm, I thought there was something else on this page, but I guess not. Excuse me. Uh, All right, let me put that to rest and let me go to the next one. Pet bottles becoming very, very popular. Use them for an increase to direct-to-customer sales. I saw something in a packaging uh, magazine, Trade Journal, that was talking about 
paper again and talking about how paper is making a comeback in as a packaging alternative. Well, we know about Paperboy. Uh, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, there was a wine that came out. Oh, what was it? I guess it's been about four or five years ago now. That was called Paperboy. And the bottle, and it was shaped like a bottle, like a wine bottle. The bottle was made out of paper. And it lasted just about as long as the news that I sent out to you and told you about. And then it disappeared. Couldn't see it, couldn't find it, nothing after that. Well, they are doing it now, only the new packaging now is more can-shaped than it is wine bottle shape. It's uh, more of a tubular than a tapered wine bottle. And it's won awards. It's won awards for being able to keep the flavors in and being able to keep the chill in and all that stuff. Not just for wine, but it's being looked at by many companies and many different uh, groups that are trying to figure out different ways that they can utilize the paper. But PET bottles, and a PET bottle is, uh, what is it, poly... Oh, I don't know. What's, I always forget. I always, always refer to it as PET, but it's uh, um, polyethylene something something. It's uh, scientific. I'm trying to look at it here, and I can't see it. Just says PET bottles. But uh, the uh, there's an Oregon company, Oregon Distaffed Wine Company, uh, has been using is uh, using the pet bottles and using the Stelvin closure, which is the screw cap. And they're finding that the bottles weigh just 2.3 ounces, which is about one-tenth of what a typical glass bottle. So shipping costs are a fraction, obviously one-tenth the cost of shipping with glass. So they're happy with that, and you're not paying for that enormous amount of weight whenever you buy something from them and it's not just the weight going to you but the weight that they have to pay coming into them i remember when i ordered bottles oh my gosh the cost of shipping was disastrous i paid half as much for the cost of shipping than i did just just for the bottles so if you can cut that down if you get lighter weight then it is a big, big improvement in your bottom line, and because of that, you can pass it on. Also, the climate impact is a lot less. The pet bottles, pet bottles, you can recycle, and it's uh, just overall improved technology is causing it to uh, be able to use it now and recycle it and all that, whereas in the past, because of the inside shield that they had put on to hold the wine so it wouldn't give you any problems, has been improved and everything is recyclable now. So, uh, hey, if you see, then don't turn your nose up at it. It is, give it a try. Uh, there's the... Uh, all sorts of box wines and everything out there and pet bottles is just another way of presenting wine to you. Okay. Uh, 
World's Best California Wines. This is an interesting list. This is put together by, well, actually, by the Wine Searcher uh, website. If you, I use Wine Searcher quite a bit to look up stuff and to check stuff. And Wine Searcher, people can order through Wine Searcher, and they do a best of series every year and stuff like that. Well, this is the last 12 months best of series for California wines on Wine Searcher. Excuse me. No, I'm not sick. It's just I'm taking drugs. It caused me cough. Uh, first on the list is Abru Vineyards, uh, Thorovillas, Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley. 97 is the score, and it's only $606. They also list the Abru Vineyard Madrona Ranch Cabernet from Napa. 97 score, $525. What a deal. The next one, Harlan Estate, Napa Valley. I believe that's a cab also. Score of 96, and that will set you back $1,407. <laughs> I know. I know. To think about 10 times now, $1,407 for a bottle of wine. Um, hmm. But this next one, there, here you go, Screaming Eagle, Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley. I believe the Screaming Eagle was put up against the French in the Screaming Eagle, Cabernet Sauvignon, won against the French wines. If I am not mistaken, I think it was Screaming Eagle. And if not in the Judgment of Paris, I'm sure it has been winning awards since then because it's... I've had an opportunity to have Screaming Eagle in the past. I will not be able to drink it now because they list the price at $4,805. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's it's a great wine. I do remember it fondly, but not for $4,805. 97 was the score. Uh, Schrader Old Sparky Offer. To Kalen Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon. Boy, you never get that whole name on the label. That's from Napa Valley also. 97 is score, $857. Sen Quay Non Cumulus Vineyard, next of kin, KYN, Central Coast, 96 score, $507. Realm Sellers, the Absurd Proprietary Red from Napa Valley, 96. That's only $1,217. Sloan Proprietary Red from Rutherford, 96 scores, $665. Abreu Vineyard Los Posados from Howell Mountain. Abreu Vineyard is listed a lot here. 97 scores, $634. And Colgin Sellers, 9 Estate Red, uh, Roman numeral 9, Estate Red, Napa Valley, $601, 96 score. Let me editorialize. They're good. All right. All these wines are good. There's really, there's some absolutely great wines here. The only one I've ever had in the past was the Screaming Eagle. I've never had any of the others. And that was way in the past, many, many years ago before Screaming Eagle got so full of themselves, they had to jump the price up 
sky high. And it was excellent, fantastic. But, oh, my gosh, you know, the, these prices, uh, I, the normal person is not going to have these. These may be the best California wines, but the normal person is not going to be able to have these, and we all know that. So it's always fun to read it and see what they are and what they say. And, you know, if you get a chance to do a tasting and say 480 of your friends all get together, then you can get the Screaming Eagle Cabernet uh, for a cheaper price, and that'll give you a, a sip of it, you know, one ounce. But that probably 480, you'll never get one ounce. It has to be like a quarter of an ounce. But it's it gets a little bit absurd when they start doing this. Uh, so uh, these increased in price over the past year by 25%. You know, I mean, if you can get them, uh, it's probably an investment. Screaming Eagle itself is up 31% over last year. So, but, you know, it's still still too much money. So those were world's best California wines, according to Wine Searcher. And we can all just shake our head at the at the cost of those. Southern England. I, Southern England has really, England itself, but Southern England has really, has received a lot of good press lately on their wines and their wine potential. Climate change, yes, has something to do with it because the growing seasons are moving north uh, in the northern hemisphere and south in the southern hemisphere. But England is in a good spot. Uh, the reason they've always had temperate climates is because of the ocean currents, and it comes in on them and warms the country enough that it's not a, an ice bucket like, well, across the ocean, you you follow England across the ocean in a straight line and you're getting in areas of Nova Scotia and stuff like that and Canada which are cold a lot and England gets themselves a fairly decent climate so because of that they are planting a lot of grapes a lot of wine grapes and they are making a lot of wine uh, people are saying that this is an area that should be taken notice of. In fact, Southern England is being said to have the potential to be the Napa of the United Kingdom, which, you know, everybody compares everything to Napa, but the uh, area is really uh, temperate climate and doing well. And one of the things about it, too, is the location. It's south of London by about an hour which is just about the same distance as Napa and Sonoma is from San Francisco, about an hour away. So Kent, which is the area that a lot of these wineries are, and Kent and Sussex and Surrey and Hampshire are about as far away, about an hour's drive from London. And so therefore they're hoping to pull in tourists and 
different people from the London area or from visiting London, just like San Francisco has their tours, and people say, oh, let's go to Napa, and so everybody does. And so they're hoping in the southern area that this will happen. Also there, uh, Chapel Downs' uh, new CEO, Andrew Carter, uh, believes that the wine industry can learn a lot from the Napa and Sonoma areas because of the way that they are uh, present themselves, a super premium luxury experience. He, he says jokingly, you go to Stag's Leap or Barringer and they're out in the yard cutting the grass with a pair of scissors just to be sure it's exactly right. And he said it's an impression that they try to give to the people. And he said that they really should be doing that here. And uh, I say here in, in, uh, uh, in, in England because it will create that image in your mind and you will want to go back or you will want to tell other people about it. So they're saying that that is a good possibility that it's going to start picking up even more. Uh, the U.S. model is the gold standard when it comes to presenting wineries and doing wine clubs and all that stuff. And they are looking very strongly at that area, uh, the Napa area from, from this area, to base their uh, model, if you will, their model after. So if you ever go to England or if you're listening to me and you live in England, check out the area. Send me, a, send me an email. Let me know what you think of it, and if there's anything that is uh, that you notice that really sticks out in your mind. Again, that's southern England, south of the uh, of London. <coughs> Excuse me again. The European Union has granted member states to use uh, resistant hybrid varieties in their Appalachian wines. Now that is not a now yeah, so what that is a big deal a, a lot of the areas are very restrictive on what can and cannot be in the wines and i mean like very restrictive you can have you have to use this wine to call it this and you have to you can't mix in too much of this and your percentage has to be this and all that stuff and they're very hard to change their minds and use anything else. Well, the European Union has came about on this because of climate change. And the climate change is causing a increase in downy mildew and powdery mildew and also some pests and things like that. And they don't want to use a whole lot of pesticides and they don't use a whole lot of uh, copper spraying, which is a very common thing to kill pests and uh, mildew rather. So they're looking at alternatives and they have been approved to come up with or to use hybrid grapes. Now, the uh, PDO, or Protected Domination of Origin. This is the areas that are very strict on it. 
said that uh, said that uh, only vines of Vitus vinifera species could be used before in the PDOs, but now they have been approved to use genetic trace of non-vinifera species, such as fungal resistant um, PIWI varieties. Uh, previously were excluded. PIWI, and I'm going to destroy this, but it stands for Pils Widerstands Fahig. Pils Widerstand Fahig, which is a variety of grapes that are resistant to the fungus, the downy mildew, and uh, that stuff. So, according to the updated regulations, member states can now use wine or vine varieties belonging to Vitus vinifera as well as hybrids containing both vitis vinifera and non-vinifera genetic materials. And these can come from American and Asian vines. So a big step for the European Union, and that is all European Union countries. So you're talking Germany and France and Spain and Portugal, and you know, we can go on and on, and all those big wine regions and all that and so they're going to do it now i don't think it's going to affect anything in the bottle i in fact it will be i am sure the wineries the owners that and the winemakers that will be resistant to using anything but what they've been using but if it comes to the day where this powdery mildew and and uh downy mildew starts affecting their grapes too much they will just say well we can use this and we'll do it and i it's it's not going to be anything that you're going to notice the taste on i i guarantee you but it's just it's a big thing that for centuries literally centuries they could not and now they're saying you know we we need to do something because of the climate change so i i thought that was interesting okay let me See something else here. Vogel reduced carbon footprints. The world's best California. Uh, all right. Let's get out of here and go to here. Um, oh, historic merger in Champagne. I don't know if you heard about this. This happened a while back, and uh, about a month ago. Uh, the largest merger of the 21st century in Champagne was completed uh, about a month ago and sees the creation of a new super cooperative group with the capacity to produce 24 million bottles a year of champagne and it's like that's that's a wow that's that's a wow people the deal sees the union of two champagne leading cooperative groups one of them crvc champagne castanel and the other one central uh vincole champagne Nicholas Florate, or Florat, those two are being joined together. Now, you've probably never heard of them unless you look at some bottles and you'll see it on the back of the, uh, on the names. And then, you know, a lot of them, well, Nicholas Florat is on the front of a lot of bottles. I've seen that. You can, bigger liquor stores, you can find that. But it became effective December 31st. And they are a new cooperative group. They are now known as Terrors et Virons de Champagne. And it unites around 6,000 
grape growers and 3,000 hectares of vineyard, representing about 9% of the total Champagne Appalachian. Big, big, big. Uh, it's uh, the newly formed group uh, wall uh, is uh, worth 300 million euro. And uh, let's see, what's it say? Something I saw something else that was interesting here. Uh, it says, oh, following the decline in the French market for champagne. And they figured that this was probably a good thing to do. Then that way they can combine their advertising dollars and promote themselves more and try to trigger a turnaround. Um, is they, it creates them as the one of three major operators in the Champagne region. So, uh, another another big purchase in the Champagne region. Another big purchase in wine. Actually, that's one of them. Uh, Oh, uh, why is it? I I was just talking about England, and I was going to tell you about prices, and I misplaced it. Oh, here we go. Land. Uh, I mentioned about England and how it's becoming a big grape and wine region. Excuse me, but it is cheap. The uh, drinks business uh, reported uh, that Ian Kellett, who is the owner of Hambledon Vineyard in Hampshire, was saying how cheap land is in England now. And he said, if you're looking at getting good grape-growing land, the farmland in east and, oh no, west, I said east, west and south, both directions, out of London, is really cheap. He said that you can get an acre for 12,000 to 15,000 pounds. I don't know the conversion because I've never really paid attention to it, but 12,000 to 15,000 pounds. And you can grow just about any grape you want there and do it well. But he says a hectare of land in the Champagne region ranges from 800,000 euro to 2.2 million euro. That's an an acre there. So a little over a hectare. So it's, it's really, really cheaper in England. And he said that it took in the Champagne region 300 years to work out where to grow things. And he said, now they already know where to grow things, and you're not paying a, a $2.2 million for a, an acre of land. Uh, you're getting good yields and all that stuff. So if you're looking for land, they say, it's uh, go to New England or England and just west and south of London, and you can uh, find some really, really good land that is great for 
great growing. And I think it will continue to be because the way the way the climate change has been going, I think we're going to start seeing more and more uh, areas like London and all that, are, uh, London, like England, that is going to be good, good great growing regions. Uh, Australia's love affair with box wines. They call it cardboard and bag in a box and goon bag. All these are in Australia. And Australia is one of the reasons why these things are jumping up in uh, usage. It's unbelievable how much is being used. Uh, they uh, call them goon bags. What's it? I never saw this part here. There's, uh in case you are in the same decade as domestic cells and dropping the cash and this uh goon bags. <laughs> uh once a tap was a borse Okay, okay, here we go. Box wine, also known as card Bordeaux, or bag in a box, B-I-B, or more commonly there, goon from Flagoon, is one of Australia's most extraordinary contributions to the wine industry. So that's what it's from, Flagoon, is goon bags. And it started in the 70s. Uh, then 30 years later, between 204 and 214, there was a 30% drop in cask sales, but a 40% increase in bottled wine during the same period. And domestic sales had been dropping, and the cask concept and its contents also were also being exported. So Goon has came a long way from its original reputation. Now it's being looked at as a great alternative. Jilly uh, Wine Company Chateau Cardboard Red, $71 for three liters, is a long way from the one-gallon packs of table wine that was launched back in 1965. Uh, Australians love it. Portability, sustainability. Pandemic wine sales jumped up at 21% in the four weeks uh, in April 2020, which that's when the biggest hit of. Longevity, and this is something that you don't think of. Contrary to popular opinion, uh, goon or bag in a box is not only the choice of people who might want to drink a lot, the vacuum-sealed bag keeps wine fresh for up to six weeks after it's opened, which is a good deal. And the price, uh, it's cheaper wine is taxed less, and so therefore they classify the stuff in those containers as cheaper. And so uh, <laughs> uh, I chuckled. They have a picture of a bag in a bag in a box, a uh, setting on the beach as a sculpture. Only it's just the bag sitting out there, and it's just a great big old bag that is a sculpture, beach sculpture. Um, but it is uh, very very popular in Australia. All the all the bag in, bag in a box of the goon, they call them, uh, goon, uh, goon babies uh, were the, uh, well, generation, generation X goon drinkers uh, are now in their 40s and 50s, and they're still uh, drinking bag in a box, and 
the whole country has caught on to it. So Australia, keeping keeping the dream of bagging a box alive. Uh, Carbordo and bagging a box and goon bag. Uh, <laughs> Australia. Um, I love it. Australia is great on that stuff. No, no pretense. Just we like it. We're going to drink it. Okay, let's see. Let me go back to something else here that I'm going to spend a little bit more time on because it's interesting. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, wine report confirms massive Australian glut of more than 2 billion liters of unsold Australian wine is setting in storage following a record 2021 vintage and a slump in export and domestic sales. Put it in a goonie. Um, it's down. Levels are down a lot in Australia, and they're trying to figure out why it's down so much. But basically, there's different areas that aren't buying it as much as they were. And, well... It's starting to get hung up on ports and out in the ocean on container ships and stuff. They ship this stuff on container ships, and it's being hung up there, and the cells are actually down quite a bit. So that's what's happening. It's their uh, inventory is up by 24%, but cells are down by uh, anywhere from four to ten percent around the world so that's what's happening with Australian wines you can probably well I was going to say find some good deals but the ones that are sitting on the shelf aren't going to be marked down so that's not going to be a reality but maybe if you well I was going to say tell the wine shop hey you're not going to get any more and when you do it's going to be a good price they'll say well if I'm not going to get any more that's going to cost more too so well that won't work I have talked in the past about phylloxera. Uh, you can go back to shows over the years, and I've dedicated whole shows to it, and I've talked about it partially, and I've said all sorts of stuff about it. Phylloxera is interesting. Uh, phylloxera is a small pest. Uh, I say pest, but I, I Actually, it's worse than a pest. It's uh, an aphid insect, an aphid-like insect that loves to eat roots and leaves of grapevines. It has a four-cycle stage of its life. It's got the egg, the nymph, the... uh, What's my word? And the adult. What's the center one there? I can't think of it right now. But they got a four stage. If you spray, you can usually get the nymph and the adult, but you can't get kill the eggs or the uh, uh, middle one. And the hibernation stage cocoon. It does not. It's not a cocoon. But so you can't spray unless you spray continuously, which is not good for grapevines because you have to spray it enough. And they also eat the roots. So spraying really is not an option because it's not going to get down into the roots. France 
France got phylloxera in the mid to late 1800s. And they started to see the grapevines die. They didn't know why. They were dying. And they couldn't figure out what it was. Well, the problem was phylloxera. And it was because the phylloxera was introduced into France from the United States. Now, I don't, I, I don't want to say by the United States. I want to say from the United States because they really don't know how it got there. They don't know if the French imported it and some of their uh, trading with the United States on, on plants and grapevines and stuff, because there was a lot of that going on back then. And they didn't know if it was because of that or if it uh, if somebody brought it over. They don't know. But they checked. I want to say chemist, no, not a chemist, a scientist decided that he needed to check and see. Here, let me uh, let me read you this. This is probably better. Phylloxera is an aphid-like insect that feasts on certain types of roots and leaves that didn't show up in France until around the mid-19th century, or 1800s, when they more than likely arrived from the United States. More than likely. You know, I mean, that was the place where they were. So this is another weird layer to the story. The United States was probably the cause of their problem, which we would eventually help them resolve it. Although some circles believe America's role in the original story was inadvertent at best, some people think the French brought the American vines into their country. And in this case, the vines are most likely transplanted as ornamental ornamental, not ornt, ornamental grapevines for the French elite. And when they did that, it contained phylloxera. So when the, whenever the pests did arrive and whatever they were doing, they wrecked havoc on the grapevines on a massive scale. Wiped out 40 to 50% of the French vines. Oh my gosh. I mean, now... You think about 40 to 50 percent. You know, we, we talk about these wildfires in California and hitting some vineyards, but it didn't even destroy, but I think total like 2 percent of the whole vineyards in the in the state. Percentage gets higher as you get, okay, in the Napa area or the Sonoma area, but in the whole state, it's only like 2 to 5 percent. This wiped out 50 percent in the whole country. So, a, uh, well, something that absolutely drove the French crazy. It became known as the Great French Wine Blight. And so, they didn't know what it was. They, you know, the microscopic size of the phylloxera was almost impossible to just walk up to a plant and see especially if you don't know what you're looking for. All you have was withering grapevines year after year. The bugs were as the root of the issue by a French botanist by the name of Jules-Emile Penchon. 
This was back in 1868. And this caused the American scientists to go into a frenzy to try to find a way to save them. Well, everyone was freaking out about the need to go to France and find a way to help them out. Uh, they slowly started to realize that the U.S. had phylloxera but didn't have the phylloxera problem. And so they're trying to figure out why we had phylloxera. Because when you got to remember now, this was in 1868. There was no email. There was no phones. There was nothing that they can just pick up and or sit down and say, hey, I'm... French botanist Jules Emile Planchon, and I'm writing to scientists in America, and this is what I found. It doesn't work that way. It took a long time to pass information around from one area to the other. I mean, it was, and a lot of times they just worked exclusively by themselves, and so it wasn't a matter of you know, sharing any information. So, one of the scientists involved in this pursuit was Missouri's state entomologist, Charles Valentine Riley, who noticed that Missouri phylloxera didn't attack vines at their roots. This led Raleigh to theorize that Missouri rootstock, which is the, the base of the plant, could be grafted onto French vines and stop the phylloxera. So, with this knowledge, he reached out to Planchon directly, and the two collaborated on an effort to stop the insects from eating up and destroying the French wines. And it was correct. It worked. By 1873, the French project to defend French vines from phylloxera was in full string. And Missouri was taking lots and lots of bows because of it. But... If you were listening to someone from Missouri, this is where they stop telling you the story. They go, we saved the French wine industry. And that's the end of the story. But, but, it goes further. And I never knew this. I've, I've heard stories that the Missouri saved the French wine industry, and I've heard stories that Texas saved the French wine industry. And I'm always thinking, how can they both have saved the French wine industry? There has to be a problem here. Well, there was a problem in that theory because Missouri did save the French wine industry, but it doesn't stop there. Missouri wasn't the only conquering hero on this. The strategy didn't pan out. After initially thriving, Missouri rootstock started to die off because they couldn't handle France's chalky aligned soils in the long run. It was just too much for them. They, they, they couldn't make it through. They were used to the Missouri soils and uh, the rich loam and even some of the uh, red clay that they had around Missouri, but they, it's the alkaline soils. It was just too much. So it was only a temporary fix, and... The French all of a sudden was under this swarm of phylloxera again. But horticulturist by the name of Thomas Volney Munson stepped into the picture. 
He wasn't a native of Texas, actually. He originally held from Illinois. But he became known as the Great Man of Texas because of his extensive work with Texas grapes. He didn't, you know, he, he moved to Texas and he did So in the 1880s, and this was a decade after Raleigh's work in Missouri, Munson determined Texas rootstocks could also neutralize phylloxera's powers. But, better yet, this species of vine could also handle the nature of French's soil and not succumb to the chalky alkaline soils of France because Texas had this, their share of it too. So they grafted onto Texas grapevines, or Texas rootstock. So the French added the Texas rootstocks to the suffering vines, and phylloxera was no longer a problem. Chardonnay, Cabernet, Pinot Noir, Merlot, all the ones that we're so familiar with from France were saved, and that's the end of the story, but not really, because if you are from Texas, you tell about Munson, and that's all you tell. And if you're from Missouri, you tell about uh, Riley, and that's all you tell. But they both did their job. If it weren't for Munson, wasn't some genius that came out of nowhere to proclaim, I'm going to say France, he already knew where to get things started. He already knew what was the problem. He already knew everything about it. And he was just looking at the grapevines and what they could do, the rootstock and what they can do. So it wasn't a Missourian that saved Texas wines, and it wasn't a Texan, or uh, French wines, and it wasn't a Texan that saved French wines. It was a sort of collaborative effort. Uh, There's no interstate rivalry between Missouri and Texas. They really, you know, I grew up in Missouri and I never heard, you know, bad things about Texas or anything. I mean, I grew up in Kansas City and we always said bad things about Kansas, but that's another story. Um, The basic story is that the if you're in Missouri and you're telling the story, then you stop where Missouri saved it. If you're in Texas and you're telling the story, you start where Munson discovered this and he saved it. And it, it, they both did. Uh, there's, uh, they're both still able to lay claim to it and probably gain some attention. And I think the whole story is really much more fascinating than just the half stories I've always heard. And so it's, uh, uh, French honors the story through a pair of statues, actually. Uh, The statues (laughs) inadvertently also separate the narrative. One of the statues honors Riley from Missouri, while the other statue honors the Americans who helped resolve the issue, including Munson. So he didn't get a statue to himself, but Raleigh did. But uh, it's just an interesting story all the way around. I've always heard one or the other half. And I've always told, I am at fault, because I've always told one or the other half of the story. Basically the same, but I always get to the end and say, so I don't know, either Missouri or Texas saved French 
grapes, but you know, I, I I don't know who was actual one. And actually, it's both of them. So good for them. And we are done for another week. So oh, look at that, right at eight o'clock. Good timing. Go back there. I was uh, trying to do. All right. Jump on my typing here. Um, no, I did some quick time. math in my head. I did some quick math in my head uh, while you were talking. Uh, an acre for twelve thousand um, pounds, pounds, serving pounds. Yeah. Um, I just quickly just came up with it because I'm. Yeah. I'm You're good I, at I know that. the currency. Yeah. Well, yeah. uh, sixteen thousand three hundred and eight dollars uh, per acre uh, okay. is twelve thousand pounds, or twenty thousand three hundred and eighty-five dollars is fifteen thousand pounds. So an acre there uh in England is roughly sixteen thousand to twenty one or twenty thousand US dollars. Uh-huh. That sounds high to me. Is that well I, or maybe you, know, just, you know, while while you're while you're surfing one day, punch in mm-hmm. land in Napa or land in Sonoma or even land in Paso Robles oh. or yeah. land in Livermore, all these grape growing regions of uh California. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, be sure you're sitting down because if you're not, you, it'll just literally make you take a step or two back. I mean, it's yeah. it's outrageous, outrageous how much land is in those areas, and uh, uh, you just you can't if you can even find land. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh-huh. So yeah. yes, it is in high, 2000, but in 2017, according to CountyAppraisals.net. The average price point was between three hundred and ten thousand per acre to four hundred thousand or more per acre. It's not uncommon. And this was where? Uh, that's in. It says Napa. How much was land cost in uh, Napa? Um, Napa Valley or elsewhere in? Uh, let's see, many bars. Um, yeah, I think the average price point. Uh, but that was in two thousand seventeen. So. Um, yeah, and it's what I'm saying. And you know, you take the average price point though, then that I think that that is not going to show you a true number for <clears throat> excuse me for vineyards because that probably includes yeah. uh, an, an acre of land that's in town or you know that's not good for vineyards. And so right. you get some prime yeah. vineyard areas, and I'm sure it's going to run at uh, you know mm-hmm. over half a million dollars an acre. Here's a, here is a Napa outlying areas such as Pope Valley, Gordon Valley, etc. Plantable has been running twenty five thousand to fifty thousand dollars an acre, and a Vineyard uh, fifty thousand to one hundred and thirty thousand dollars an acre. Wow, that's outside. Um, that's Napa, Napa, yeah, Napa prime areas such as Oakville, Rutherford, St. Helena, and Yountville in that uh-huh. area. Uh, Plantable is looking at two hundred thousand to two hundred and fifty thousand an acre, and uh, vineyards uh, three hundred thousand to four hundred thousand an acre. Wow. Okay. So Check you know, credit it, line. Yeah, yeah. You know, open up a credit line. I want to buy. Let's see. Give me three square feet. Huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And that yeah. was in 2019. So it says uh, Napa, 
and Sonoma real estate values. So um, in the last couple of years, I'm sure it's, it's jumped up a little bit because it always does. I mean, prices always go up a, a percentage every year. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, it's just, and that's just for the land now. Okay. Then yeah. you know, once you start putting the vineyards in, and once you start doing all that stuff, that's you know, you when I was you know, I had the winery, we had the vineyard, we, the standard rule of thumb is it was, it's going to cost $10,000 an acre for all the infrastructure, you know, that's for the vines, uh, which are, you know, expensive, but for the posts and for the trellises and for the watering system and everything else, put it all in $10,000 an acre. And if you do it yourself and you, you know, you can cut that price down, but that, that was the standard amount. Uh, so, you know, wow. it, it's, it gets bloody expensive. That still doesn't justify $4,000 for a bottle of Screaming Eagle Cabernet, but it gives true. you a little perspective of, you know, what it does cost just to, just to grow the grapes, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, that's still a lot of money, no matter what you do. Sounds more um, like you're you're paying for the name uh, and the oh, the um, prestigious the prestigiousness of it than uh, you know the actual worth. I, I don't know. Maybe the ground is different. I, I there, agree. But, I don't know. I this is Laura. from Napa, who, as opposed Ooh. this is from uh, Livermore, which yeah. people aren't, or Monterey, people aren't as ooh about those yeah. as they're about Napa, but they're still good growing areas. And, uh, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> Central Valley and all name. that. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. It just doesn't have the name. Yeah. Uh, so it right. makes a difference. It, it really does make a difference. And, uh, that's, you know, and even so. California, this is a California vintage as opposed to, um, uh, mm. Colorado or, uh, Lakeland, Kentucky, or <laughs> Lakeland, or yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it, Miami, all, <laughs> okay. Miami, all makes a difference. You know, uh, yeah. all of it makes a difference. You know, and people's people's coastal, minds. Coastal regions of Florida. That's a, a very prestigious area. Yeah, it always has Lines been. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you punched that in. Coastal regions of Florida wine. Wineries, and yeah. it comes question mark on the screen, huh? <laughs> yeah. Did you misspell something else? Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. Um, 404. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. It is uh, 8.07 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time and uh, January the 20th. Thank you for tuning in wow. again. We'll see you all next week the 27th will be our next uh last show of january uh, show of 2022 january. Be, yeah it's already gone uh just like that um thank you all for uh for tuning in and and uh putting up with us and uh, appreciate it we'll see you all uh, next week and uh have a great week be safe, be safe and uh there's uh we'll uh I don't know if there's we'll anything happening, thanks but, for listening uh, yeah thank you i gotta close out chat here real quick i got that mm-hmm. Other person on YouTube that I don't know what they're posting, but uh, <laughs> anyway, all right, here we wow. go. We'll see you all next time. Thank you. This concludes tonight's episode. This oh. concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Rob. Rob yeah. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, 
visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Oh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>